you guys what's going on how's it going tony yo what's, what's up, up nico what's up tony you get any strange emails this week <laughs> oh my goodness now they're sending them you're not going to believe this this you're, you're going to think i'm going to make this up I'm, that, I'm, that i'm making this up but i'm not today the the lunar rover or the the rover landed on mars you know that, right? You heard about that, correct? I, I saw an article about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it literally landed on Mars. They um, literally Mars. faked it. No, don't start that, Joe, because, <laughs> because, this, because I got an email about you uh, from, and this is, what, this is what's unbelievable, from a Martian, okay? And <laughs> they're, Marvin, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, they honestly they asked me not to release their name, okay? Um, they were highly disappointed. They thought that you were going to be on the spacecraft. Um, they they had everything like they really like a ticker tape parade. Everything else they were it was awesome. Um, kind of like a homecoming, really. It would have been for you, yes, yes. Uh, they wanted to know where you worked. They wanted to try to get in touch with you, maybe for an interview. I, w- I was vague. I said I think spacely space sprockets. I think they I think they wanted to give him a probe. <laughs> Don't say that because he'll he'll end the show early. Go <laughs> head out that way. Really, all, all it takes is a few drinks, honestly. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my goodness, man. I'm I'm a little tired today. I didn't I I had the weirdest dream. And it wasn't a bad dream. I dreamt that I was hanging out with Buddy Rich, the drummer, and mm-hmm. that Buddy was talking to me. Like listening, I had to listen to a song and he was talking to me like I was going to be the drummer. Okay. And, um, and the weird thing about this, him and I were in a supermarket while this was going down. Um, that's, I don't know, boy, that's just, maybe that's telling me that the, since I haven't been able to get out of the house, the next time I go shopping, I should probably buy some chicken drumsticks. I think that's what the dream probably means. I don't know. Wow, you yeah, got a gift for interpreting dreams. That's that's probably spot on there. That's what Buddy was trying to tell you. <laughs> yeah. From beyond the grave, he came yeah. to tell you to get chicken. Well, he's not dead. Don't don't fall. He ain't dead. He may be over a hundred right now, but he's yeah. Actually, he would be a hundred and three. He this coming year. He was uh, born in nineteen eighteen, I believe it was, um, or nineteen seventeen. Yeah, he was. I, I know you saw him play a couple times. Did you ever get to meet him? Yeah, five times. I, okay, so he one time he was playing at the University of Akron, okay, which is south of Cleveland, 
And at that time, I had never been to Akron. So it was at, at the college thing, and he did a lot of that. He did a lot of colleges and so on. So I drove and uh, saw the concert, this and that. And for whatever reason, and I don't recall why, but I wasn't uh, – I didn't leave in haste. I guess I just was dilly-dallying. And uh, I got lost leaving the University of Akron, and I ended up on some street, and there was a restaurant on the corner. And in front of the restaurant was Buddy Rich's bus. And I'm like, this is my chance. I could stop. I could go into the restaurant and approach him. But I had already known about his personality. And I honestly got cold feet. I, I was afraid to go in there to, to meet him and to talk to him and get his autograph. Uh, so I could have, yeah, I had the opportunity and I didn't. But I did have the opportunity to see and have sit down with me, Louis Belson, who was, was another phenomenal drummer and has to be, uh, outside of the musicians that I studied with, the nicest musician. I mean, the guy was just unbelievably nice. And he sat down on his break. He ended up spending his whole break at my table with, with my girlfriend at the time. Um, what a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, yeah, no, I never got to meet, actually meet Buddy Rich. Can you, like for non-drummers, is there a way to articulate what made him so special? Was it speed? Was it, you know, what What are the things that like, to the untrained ear, you can say, this is what you'll, you know, you only hear with him. Yeah, well, a absolutely. He's known for his blistering speed. He was non-perial when it comes to his technique. Now, he's not all universally liked. Um, a lot of people think that he was you know, just a big band type of drummer and a soloist. But I've heard him play in small bands, and I heard him play bebop. He he could do it. Um, yeah, to me, he was a very uh, – just his speed. That's what everybody – his technique was just amazing, and he had power with it. You know, a lot of guys can play fast, you know, like when you're right on the, on the snare drum like this, okay, using all the finger technique. This is the molar technique, and this is basically what Buddy Rich did. So, like – I don't know if you can see this, but I wish I had a pair of drumsticks here. But he, he uses the fingers like this as opposed to, like, the arm or just the wrist. He uses the fingers and then the wrist. So let's see. So you're getting that kind of thing. Same with the left hand. You're using your fingers to get that stick to vibrate and then your wrist. So literally, he could do one-handed drum rolls and everything, right? But he, he could do it, you know, at a distance too, not just, like, right there on a the snare drum. So, yeah, he was unbelievable. He was just one of those guys, and he never trained. He he learned from other drummers. He started when he was, like, two years old, you know. Traps the, the drum wonder, they called him. His parents were in vaudeville. And he learned from hanging around pit drummers uh, back in those days. And, you know, I, I mentioned this on – I don't know if it was on the podcast or one of my YouTube videos, but there's really no such thing as self-taught. I mean, you may not have had an official teacher, but everybody picks up from other people. You just, you witness, you see things, you hear things, you know. Um, and guys like you, you guys have influences and in maybe in, in a fight game. Buddy Rich had influences in, in drumming. Um, Gene Krupa being one of them. Chick Webb being another. Um, yeah, he was just, you know, the best I've ever heard.
You know, it's kind of interesting talking about someone who's just so like head and shoulders above everybody else kind of segues into something I was asking you about. Um, like if you want to, it's, it's actually, listen, it's kind of related to a, a unrelated to fighting podcast that I was listening to, but the, the debate basically was, is it better if you want to achieve greatness to be a specialist or a generalist? You know, uh, obviously there's cases where that, you know, someone has just like a, an obsession, you know, or compulsion about something, you know, uh, where they, they, you know, and, and they've started like, there's certain like chess whiz uh, kids who were started at a very young age um, or, you know, like Tiger Woods, I guess his dad really drilled him to play golf since a young age. Uh, but there's a counter argument saying that, well, you know, that there are exceptions and there are, there are these stories of people who, you know, f- were singularly focused in their lives. Um, but there's all kinds of other people who've achieved, you know, world-class status on whatever a certain field is. But uh, when you really dig into their backgrounds, they had a diverse, you know, they were generalists in a, for a while. You know, they were exposed to a lot of different things. So maybe like we talk about athletics, you know, there's, um, they were given examples of people who, you know, played several different sports before they found the one that clicked for them. Um, and having that diverse background um, in some ways gives you a better perspective and maybe better prepares you uh, once you find that thing to move on. So I've kind of made a lot of points. So uh, generally, I guess, is for in generic senses, is it better to be a generalist or a specialist? And then as a martial artist, I guess, you know, I think we obviously think of mixed martial artists. You want to have a, a kind of a broad view of, of fighting systems, but, you know, should you specialize in certain techniques or things like that? So uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but you kind of get what I'm going for. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes you have no choice. Like with the MMA, well, maybe it's changing now, but, you know, MMA, let's just say, you know, it came out really, the first one was in 1993. Let's just call it 30 years, okay? It's not quite, but just to give you a nice round number. But, you know, all of those people already had a pre-existing background, and it continued years and years and years, and to, to a degree, it still continues, meaning – you know, wrestlers will, after the end of their amateur career, will turn to MMA, let's say, or a guy who did nothing but jujitsu will start taking boxing and taekwondo, uh, Thai boxing or whatever. And, you know, um, so I don't know necessarily if MMA in itself is, is a good uh, example, but um, uh, because, yeah, they, these, a lot of these people already have pre existing specialties. Um, but I think that's a deep subject because the word specialist to me means you've reached, I mean, that, that's your single focus goal. That's your, I mean, you may have a background in generalities, but this is what you are known for. And, and to me, in my mind, uh, you're talking doctors here. Okay. That's the first thing that comes to my mind when you say a specialist and it's part of the vernacular. What's the matter with you? Don't, you're not feeling well. You don't look so good. Oh, I got to go see a specialist. Right? So that right away means this is an elevated thing. Um, yet a specialist in, in medicine has obviously gone through all the same training that a general practitioner would. But now they are, they found a niche. They found something that they really, really care about. And, 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 and it uh, intrigues them and interests them. And they have an aptitude for it. One of my cousins is like that. Brilliant man. He's a doctor, doctor, an MD and a PhD. And uh, 
dealing with genomes and all this. He's really world renowned. Um, so you specialize uh, in fighting. If we're going to stick to that, I think that, um, okay, when you're a specialist, that's your bag. If you can get to that range, then you should have some dominance. If that specialty allows dominance, okay? Meaning, let's say your specialty is Kali, stick fighting, just the stick fighting aspect. Does you no good in an MMA match because you can't use a stick. But there, there are many specialists that, you know, have gotten trounced in fights. You know, boxer, I mean, well, yeah, okay, boxer, for example, gets taken down and put out. A grappler who gets knocked out, okay? Um, and I think to make, the, to make a comparison, you can have – now, this is going to sound like a bash. Stick with me because it's not. You can literally be involved in the martial arts or, you know, something, maybe MMA or just whatever, and really not have any experience, really – with, with something you're coming up against. Whereas a, an MD, a specialist, I should say, a, a medical doctor, well, he's got a working knowledge of medicine, all right? So you could be a brain surgeon, but you know how to do CPR or you know what you know blood pressure is and you know all, the, all of that. Whereas there are some martial art guys who are, that are so specialized, they don't know anything about, let's say, outside of grappling. They may not really know anything about strikes. They'll throw bad punches or something, rudimentary. But so it's it's really different. But to me, I, I, I don't know. Everybody thinks that I specialize in submissions. I guess I do, but I also thought I was, a, you know, a striker. I mean, I – I thought I was pretty well-rounded, but also I, I mentioned to you guys on the podcast before, I never looked at it. I never put it together as a separation, like I, you know, boxing and grappling or striking and grappling. I do it now. A lot of it's for marketing or to explain to people that there's a difference, but I was, it was all blended in together for me. So, yeah. Um, but my take on it is I don't think it hurt. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to be a specialist. Because psychologically, if you're in a little bit of trouble, let's say you're a, a, a grappler, right? But you do know how to box. Like me, you know, I mean, I could box enough to use my wrestling, which I was better at, the submissions. Um, so you might be able to say, well, if I can get into if I can get on this guy and get him down, then I can I can win. Because that's my specialty. That's where I really excel. Some people don't have that. They're like a jack of all trades, master of none. That I don't. That I don't like, um, because you have to have some some strong suit. Otherwise, you know you're you're walking a fine line. You you you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Like you can, if you, like if you know a little bit of wrestling, you know you might run up against a a, a good wrestler and you're done. He'll he'll just out wrestle you and destroy you. You might know a little bit about boxing. You go up against a good boxer, he'll knock you out. Maybe the little bit of wrestling you know cannot overcome the tremendous amount of striking that he knows. See, that's how it was. That's how it still is 
with some guys. You know, they, they know a little bit about wrestling, but not enough to get a, a savvy person to the ground. Now what? You're a man with no, you know, you're like a man with no country. Yeah, I think your analogy of um, uh, like a specialist in me- medicine is kind of interesting because kind of relating back to fighting is you need to have, it almost feels like you need a foundation, a general foundation that is uh, a little bit broad. But then let's say you just happen to be great at kicks. Let's say you're just whatever it works for you, you know, but if you focus on that initial, like, let's say you, you find out that, oh, I can really, you know, I've got some really powerful kicks and you ignore everything else. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're taking a big risk there that, you know, that you can always apply those. So it, it, maybe I'm, that's what it sounds like you're kind of saying is like, you know, if you could design a fighter, you definitely still need to have a, a fairly decent, uh, broad knowledge of, of self-defense you know, and even that, like, like, you know, we were talking MMA, but really, I mean, we're, we talk more here about self-defense is I, I need to know a little bit about weapons and things like that too, because I don't know what I could run into, you know, but then if I have a beyond that foundation, if I've established that, but I have a gift for something, like maybe I have an amazing takedown or whatever, you know, uh, I can then hone that so that I can try and, you know, push a conflict towards that if need be. Yeah, and but when you're talking about athletics, and I'm sure in medicine as well, any science STEM stuff, um, there are subsets. I mean, look, okay, let's 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 talk about amazing takedowns. Okay, you might you might you might have the greatest takedown in the world. You know, the single leg, let's say, or whatever, high crotch. Okay, but now you got to do Greco. <laughs> so your amazing single legs don't matter; they're thrown out. You can't use them. Um, you know, or yeah, you maybe in a in a folk style or freestyle match, you do have an amazing single leg or double leg, but maybe the guy you're going up against has an even better front headlock, you know, or a better duck under, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah, but you do have to have a working knowledge. I mean, I can't see a, you know, like a brain surgeon if you're in. Let's say you need, you know, you're you're with a neurosurgeon. Okay, you've been recommended to a neurosurgeon. You're you're in his office, and all of a sudden you're you're going pale. Your your heart starts. Something's going wrong. Well, he's not going to freak out and, and call nine one one. He knows enough to, to probably say this guy's having a heart attack. Let me handle this situation. Let me stabilize this person, and let me get him to a cardiologist or to you know, you know whatever. Um, and I that is important to distinguish when you're a, when you're a fighter to um, you know, put your ego away for a minute and say, Hey, look, this isn't my specialty or, well, I, man, maybe I do need to reach out to a boxing coach or a submission guy, a better submission guy or a better, you know, takedown guy um, to, to work on, you know, my, my weaknesses. Um, so that, that's, that's it. But, you know, doctors of course are held to a different standard than, you know, martial artists there's no professional i mean they have yeah it's it's a whole different thing um compared to the two but yeah i i think you in the fight game you 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 have to have some general knowledge here somebody asked me a long time ago and i never heard back from them because i don't, I don't think they liked the answer it was an email they were kind of leading it on like basically saying in a street self-defense 
you only need to know a couple of things, right? Isn't that right, Tony? Because we're on a this was like a debate that was going on, I guess, in some internet forum. And I told him, no, you got to know everything an MMA guy would know and more. Okay. There you can't rely on a trick. I mean, you in a street fight, you have to have so much knowledge, far more than an MMA fighter would have, because of weapons and multiple assailants and you know, landscape and you know, all of that jazz. So you have to know punches, kicks, knees, elbows, submissions, and all of that, but additional stuff. <clears throat> so um, if you really want to feel prepared for the street. So there's, in that regard, uh, uh, let's say an MMA guy may really specialize in, you know, is it jujitsu black belt? Okay, that's his specialty. But um, I'm sure if they're competing professionally for prize money and want to win a title, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, they know other stuff. They may not be the greatest striker, but they know enough to, you know, at least hide them over until they can get to their specialty, their range. I think that's a, a misconception with um, self-defense is a lot of people think that if they know these certain tricks or eye gouges or groin strikes, that's all they really need to know. They don't, they don't, Really, in my opinion, I think they don't realize that if you don't, if you've never actually grappled with somebody and you think, and you've never actually um, sparred and, you know, thrown a jab, you don't, you don't understand these basic fundamentals. You're not going to hit somebody with a groin strike or an eye gouge or any of these tricks uh, with somebody that has the least amount of knowledge of what, you know, how to handle that. So I think that those should be the the fundamentals. You should know how to wrestle. You should know basic striking and then add all those tricks or whatever rips and gouges, add that onto the, the fundamentals. Right. I mean, and there's another talk about misconceptions. There's another misconception that, you know, even if you were in a street fight and you defended yourself against the mugger, that you know your shit. <laughs> no. Not everybody that's a criminal is a fighter, okay? Most of the time, they're looking for the easiest mark, the easiest prey, okay? And as long as you don't get obliterated, you can hold your own, you might be able to survive that encounter, right? That doesn't mean you're ready for the next one, right? Because one of these days, you may unfortunately run run up against somebody who's got bad intentions, who's actually you know, looking for that confrontation. So that's the, the environment that I was raised in. These were people who would just as soon kill you. They had no problem being back in the joint. They didn't care. They felt more comfortable there than, than on the streets. So, um, yeah, you don't want to rely on these little tricks and gimmicks because they just, you know, they may not work, you know, and then what? You know, it's not it's not good. Nothing to me beats a trained a trained fighter, you know, you, you just really have to put the time in. There's no shortcuts. I mean, think about a, like a language, right? Let's say you want to travel to Italy. You don't know the first thing about the Italian language. So you're going to take a little crash course. They'll teach you how to say hello, good morning, where's the bathroom, you know. What if you start getting into the conversations? You're like, man, this is over my head. So now you stop, you bring your booklet out, and you're looking. Wait, say it again. Let me look this up. 
But you can't do that in the street. You can't say, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, hold it. Let me get out my, you know, my karate book. Let me see. Oh, yeah, horse stance number three. Okay. You can't do that. So you really have to be prepared. That's why I tell, like, um, people that want to um, – because in Chicago, a lot of people talk, you know, there's a lot of culture, different language. And I speak a little bit of different languages, you know, just as a hobby. But I just do it for fun. People are like, man, you know this, you know how to speak this language, that? No, I don't. <laughs> I just know a little bit of, you know, this or that, you know. And I would never, ever, ever try to get into a conversation because I'd be blown out of the water. So to get to you, Nico, I know the little quote-unquote tricks of certain languages. You know, like I could, I could walk into a bar anywhere, a Polish bar, and order up a drink and, you know, try to get the bartender's phone number. <laughs> And that's about the extent of it. They'll think, oh, my, this guy knows how to speak Polish. No, I just know enough. I can order up food, you know, a um, little bit of German, Italian. Of course, I, Italian is the main one because I'm Italian. But so, yeah, those it's like me. I know, I know the, enough of those little tricks in some of these languages, Croatian or Slovenian, just enough to make somebody laugh. So, yeah, I don't like when people try to rely on these tricks in self-defense. Not that they won't work. Because, you know, I could say something in a language that that's appropriate, but I can't hold a conversation. And if you rely on these little tricks of self-defense, you can't hold a, a fighting conversation if, if, it, if it escalates. Kind of going on a, a tangent on this, but I want to circle, I want to keep going with this with the... Uh... The idea of the tricks and the groin strikes, because on the flip side, there are people who there's kind of a, you know, they discount them. You know, there's a, like, the other side of the argument or the other danger in my mind, maybe, is where you're like, well, you know, um, I'm just going to focus on my wrestling or my boxing and not think about targeting the groin or if someone's going to target the groin. Like in my shadow boxing now, just from our, a lot of our conversations and altercations you've described, I spend a lot of time, you know, visualizing and blocking groin strikes and kicks, you know, because I assume, especially if I'm coming up against someone who's maybe not as skilled as me, and all of a sudden I've surprised them, I'm assuming they're going to be going for my groin. And vice versa, I frequently, if I've got an opportunity to take that groin shot, I'm going to go for it. Now, I want to make sure I have the skill set to A, not be taken down or be, you know, outboxed that I can protect my head and stuff. But uh, I don't want to ever forget that reality that that is a, a prime target for my enemy and for myself um, that, to incorporate. It's kind of like when we talk about the rips, you know, if I, rips are, are great if you can incorporate them into your grappling game. Uh, you can't use them isolated. Like if I say, oh, I just know some painful rips, that'll stop somebody. Well, you got to have, it's got to be on a foundation of real skills. I think it's the same. And actually, I guess a groin strike is basically a rip of a sort. But um, anyways, what do you think about that? Exactly. Yeah. It's all about control. Yeah, of course. That's what ripping is. And you need to know all those things, those, those, but you're not relying on those tricks. So you're not relying on just a groin strike. You know how to get to that groin. You know how to control that man and, you know, get into the position where you can utilize that either via grappling or, or even in your striking situation. That's, that's the difference, okay? So that's taking the words that I know and putting them in a coherent uh, 
conversation. See, I don't know enough Polish to hold a conversation all night long. I know those little tricks, the little keywords, whereas somebody who's fluent can use those exact same keywords in a conversation. And that's what you are. You're at that level because you, your training is, you know, you know so much that, yeah, you can use those those trick things, the, the groin strikes, the eye gouges with efficiency because you have the, the substructure to pull them off. But if that's all you had, you know, it's, it's not going to work. You know, I mean, you might get lucky. Everybody can. But, you know, you don't want to rely on that, you know. Um, and then there's other stuff, too. Size, strength, determination, you know, how you feel mentally, physically. There's no shortcuts, man. You want it, You want a shortcut? Then you're, you're just you're, – you're living on borrowed time. The only way to get good is by putting in the time and effort, the years of hard training in and out of the gym. I want to circle back to the generalist specialist conversation. So kind of on a different aspect of it. And again, for martial artists, I think, or fighters, people who are interested in self-defense and those kind of things, it kind of goes back to some conversations we've had previously on this podcast, but outside of the martial arts, like let's say my, my only focus is I want to be the greatest martial artist or whatever that I can be. You know, like in your case, you said some things I got from exploring music and going into music actually translated back into my fighting a completely you would think other interest or other area of interest but it you know through the improvisation and probably some of the coordination and timing and rhythm that you got from the drums it augmented your fighting and gave probably gave you new perspectives on it so i mean do you think someone should spend some time or like look at other arts or whatever it is, you know, I don't, you know, no, I can't even know what it is, whether it's, you know, even, even things like painting or something that'll get your brain working differently. So you can start, you know, do you think that as a, a something that people who are looking to improve themselves should kind of look to diversify? Yes, I do. Art. Yeah. Actual art, drawing, uh, chess, even card games, games of strategy, anything that's going to develop your mind, you know, to get you to start thinking, okay, and problem solving, that's important. And believe it or not, music, art, um, the, there's problems here that, that need to be solved. Music, I'm going from C to D minor 7th to G 7th back to C, right? 251 progression, that's a little, that's a problem. How am I going to be creative? How am I going to get from D minor to G to C? creatively. So you got to solve that. Um, painting. I have this landscape in my mind. Okay. I want to create a beautiful image just from my mind. Okay. You got to create. Now there's your creativity. Board games, strategy games, word find games, anything to keep your mind active. Uh, not so much that you let your physical body go. Of course, you want to be physically moving around. But, yeah, I believe in all of that, Joe and Nico. And eventually you guys, or not you personally, but just you in general, you people may end up uh, stumbling upon something that will tap into that creativity, right? And now all of a sudden it bleeds over into your martial arts. If you have that enough, if you have that much love and dedication to the martial arts, you know, you, you will allow that to overflow. Sometimes, though, what ends up happening is, 
in the case of, let's say, music, that now becomes your priority, and now your martial arts kind of become secondary. So it's a balancing act there as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I had already – well, I dabbled in music when I was a kid, the drums, but I didn't really pick up the accordion at all until after I was done with my, my wrestling training uh, back then. And then I study, started to study, actually study music. And that knowledge instantly was able to, we talked about this before with Ronnie Moon and everything, how it just made me a better fighter because now I put the two and two together. Yeah, I was able to, all the musical improvisation that I had in my mind was, I, I started putting that into my fighting. You know, I started chaining you know like scales and it just I just it was just an amazing thing for me I hope other people can have that kind of epiphany like I did so that brings us to chain wrestling what do you think about chain wrestling well I think it's a misnomer or no not a misnomer It's uh, different, differently described. Some people chain moves, and I look at the whole body. Like I've seen people go from okay, you go from this armbar to the straight armbar to the double wrist lock to this to that. That's chain wrestling, I guess. It's a chain move, but that's a very primitive way of doing it. No, you have to look at the whole body. You might have a top wrist lock position, and then a guy tries to move now, but he moved his whole body. You know, now something else in his body is opening up. Um, so you're, there's a simple way of doing it, like a like a localized chain, like the arm would be a localized chain. But normally people don't just counter like this. Okay, they're not straightening. They're moving their whole body. Okay, they're using everything they can to get out. Um, and my chaining has always, from day one, and this has got nothing to do with the music. This was just day one from Ronvon is look at look at his whole body. Okay, you may be on, on his arm, and the next thing you know, you're going to his legs because the opportunity is there. And that makes yourself incredibly difficult to defend. It's like shit's coming from everywhere. Where where's Tony coming after me next? And it's psychologically devastating to an opponent because they're scared because none of their limbs are safe. Okay, and now you add strikes into it or rips. You know, you may be pounding on him, and then all of a sudden you're pounding on his legs. You're pounding on his groin. He's trying to turn. You're elbowing and pounding on his kidneys. You're you're attacking the back of his neck like you're you know you're killing the guy. You know, this is what it's all about. You know, this is using your whole body as a weapon and his whole body as a target. That's my mantra. That's been on my website. I've I've said that, you know, that's my trademark expression, you know. Um, and that, to me, is how you chain. And chain wrestling doesn't even, in my world, doesn't just mean wrestling holds because I don't distinguish. To me, it's all the same. I'm looking to finish you. And so I may have that top wrist lock, let's say, or you know, I'm trying to go for it or whatever, and you're trying to make a counter. Now I'm going to chain to an elbow to your face or I'm going to chain to a fish hook in your mouth or, you know, whatever. Okay. 
you just don't know where my chains are going. Um, and all under the semblance of being totally in control. And that's the ultimate control. And if I let you move, or if you're moving, it's because I'm letting you move. And you're, that's how I spring the trap. Because you'll do anything to get out of the situation you're in. And little do you know that you're just going into, into the abyss. You know, you're, you're going to the, to the ultimate doom because that's, that's where it's at. Now, think about this, guys. The top wrist is phenomenal. The way we do it, it's the best, right? Great armbar, you can do a lot of damage. But that's not the worst thing that you can do to somebody, and you know it, okay? And in hindsight, some people may have ended up saying, man, I, I would have rather him break my arm than what ended up happening to me, okay? So I know that, that if I'm going after your arm, you should in a way be thankful that that's all I'm going to try to do to you, okay? And there will, there will be a specific reason why I'm going for your arm, perhaps. Um, but you need to know. See, so many people just want to end it, okay? They just, well, I just want to get this fight over with. Um, I have a purpose, Okay. I have I have something in mind here, right? Um, and luckily, I I have the ability to do that. So I don't necessarily need the first thing that comes along. If you get my drift, I will create the ultimate thing that I want. So if I want your neck, I'll get your neck. If I want to break your leg, I'll do that. If I if I want to arm lock you, I'm going, I'll, I'll, I'll go for that. You know, I'm going to make the decision of what I want. And that, that's, that's the highest level. I mean, that's, that's like a musician being able to play in all 12 keys or, you know, just creating spontaneous melodies in their improvisation. That's what you want to strive for. Okay. You don't want to be a musician that can only play in the key of C. You want to be able to play in all 12 keys, and that's how you are when you're fighting. You want to be able to do anything you want to do to the guy. How would you differentiate chains from combinations? Is, uh, are they similar or different? Well, like a box, like striking combinations, you mean? Well, could you have even combinations of submissions or takedowns? You know, I can go from oh, one. Oh, well, to... of course. Yeah, that's, that's different. That it, to me, that's that's different because um, that's like a transition to me, um, except for strikes. Cause you have a combination like the one, two or something like that. One, two, three, or whatever. Um, that's just a repetition, right? Or not a repetition, but it's a pattern. Um, for me, chaining though is, is completely different because I'm, re I'm causing, I'm not reacting. I'm proacting. I'm making you move. So a lot of times, uh, like you'll do a transition because you already, you know, you're, you're reacting to what the guy is doing. Whereas with me, I want to create the, the movement. Okay. I'm not just, Oh, here's something now. No, I already have it pre-planned. Um, so that's me, but some people may want to play the semantic game and say, well, if you transition from a double leg to a single or, you know, for, or from a single to a double, 
um, that's a chain. And, and if they want to say that's a chain, that, that very well may be in, the, in their world, in their vernacular, um, that's a chain. I don't, I don't look at it. I look at that as like a more or less of a, of a transition. But for me, um, my chain will not be necessarily a smooth, logical thing. It won't be. Uh, it would. It could be a leap. Let's say, okay. It would be almost like now. I wouldn't do this, but just to put it in a graphic, would be from going like from a low single all the way to a uh, snap down, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that because you, 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 it wouldn't work out. But on the ground, a leap like that can happen. So that's a chain to me. So is it something that you might have a? A rough plan to do or is it reactive like you say oh you see a, a, an opportunity happening as like, well you 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 can have that too i mean you know yeah you can you should be very reactionary or be very observant to what to what the person does you know so if all of a sudden this person just gave you the open door if it, like if it's a tournament if it's a sport aspect yeah then just totally be reactionary you're not out to deliberately hurt your opponent and it doesn't matter to you if you submit them with a leg lock or an arm bar, okay? In a tournament, you just or competition, you just want to win, all right? I'm talking about in a different thing. I'm talking about in a street scenario or life or death situation where, you know, you have, you know what you want to do to this guy, okay? Because in a street situation, breaking his arm, let's just use that as an example, may not stop this guy, okay? You may have to do something else. Breaking his leg you know, toe-holding him, heel-hooking him, whatever, just may not be sufficient. That just may, that might not be enough. Okay, I'm using that as an example. You, you just got to know. You got to read the situation. And it's deep. So for me, yeah, I have always, um, the rips are designed probably for what you're talking about. When I rip you, I know that I'm going to get some sort of reaction. Your arm's going to come up. And I'm going to chain from that rip to the top wrist lock because I know from years of experience that if I rip you in a certain way, that top wrist lock is going to become available or the double wrist lock is going to become available. Um, in that regard, that's a chain to me. I've chained because I already know that I'm – but I chained from a rip to the submission. So is it kind of a mixing of – kind of a surprise mixing of techniques or like um or unexpected yeah. well it's unexpected for the opponent it's expected for me but yeah it's i told you i don't this this when i'm on the ground i don't think of just grappling per se of i gotta get i think of finishing the fight and that means ripping biting elbowing submissions you know hooks i it, it so i don't distinguish same with on the feet i don't I don't sit there, you know, and I just, you know, it's it's all blended. My mind doesn't work as I'm in strike mode, now I'm in grappling mode. My mind constantly works on I'm in finish mode, okay? So normally, if it's just a bullshit thing, you know, uh, where I don't really want to engage this guy, I'll probably just knock him out, you know, or hit him enough so that I can put him to sleep on his front, front uh, you know, figure four choke or something like that, put him sleep, and that's it. Or restrain the guy, fine. But if I want to go deeper to this, you know, I then I might say, well, you know, this guy, you know, this guy looks like, uh, you know, he needs a broken arm tonight. You know, now 
<laughs> oh, it happens, Nico. Um, then, then I plan accordingly, and I'll I'll do what I have to do to get that broken arm. Training for that. So, do you? And this was kind of where my my question to you, kind of offline, was about, you know, because sometimes I drill, I'll drill certain submissions in a in a pattern just to kind of make sure I remember them. It's kind of like going playing your scales, for instance. Um, you know, is there is that okay? Is there like a limit? Obviously, there's a limit to what those can do. Or do you do you think? Or also, I was thinking, is this like, well, how many is realistic? Like, how many moves sequentially? in a fight can I plan for? Can I say, I'm going to drill these seven moves because I think it's the most likely progression to go? Or is that, you know, kind of training unrealistically? Um, okay, so fighting is, react, uh, is uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inter, interpersonal, you know, you, you, what's the word? It's a common word. I can't think of it. When you, Interactive, that's the word. You know, it's interactive. Um, whereas music, you know, you are, it's you and the you and your instrument, and the only thing that's limiting you is the key that you're in. Your your instrument is not attacking you back, is what I'm getting at. Okay, you always you're know. In my band, that might be different. <laughs> yeah, right. But in a fight, you know, it's it's total. You know, with the interaction, I don't know what you're going to give me, right? Um, so you, that's how people think. What's what's this? What kind of energy is this guy, you know, going to give me? So I try to take that out of play as much as I can. I learned many, many years ago, um, actually from pool, too, you can kind of relate to banking because I'm a bank pool player. Um, I want to just take all the, uh, boy, I'm not thinking of the word, uh, not mysteries, but I guess, you know, the, I, I just want to have control. Okay, and I, I don't remember the word. The word is important that I'm trying to think of. I don't not subtleties, but um, you like know variables. Yeah, that's the word. Variables. Exactly, that's the word. I want to get as much of the variables out. Okay, so if 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 I can just overwhelm you, and that doesn't mean like bum rush you or anything, but just be in total friggin' control, I can take a lot of these variables out. And another important thing is time. I can't give you a lot of time. The more time I give you, the more variables come into play because it's allowing you to think, okay? So I'd rather be actionary than reactionary because reaction slows you down. So I'm going to be very offensive, okay? Not so much defensive. doesn't mean that I'm haphazard like I would. If we were striking, I wouldn't walk up to you like this. I'm going to have my hands held properly and everything. But I'm offensive-minded because I know that I have command of a lot of tools that most people don't have. I can strike elbows. I can do all, you know, take down everything. You know, I'm lucky. And there's other people that have those tools. So you want to, you want to take all those variables out. You don't want to give that guy that you're going up against who may be getting back to the first part of this, a specialist. You don't even want to let him get to his specialty. You just want to overwhelm him, you know, with your abilities. So you're saying seven move chains or whatever, seven technique things. There's no, problem with that as long as the biggest drawback especially on your feet is you don't want to be in front of somebody for any length of time like single leg takedowns that take 10 15 seconds to work forget it throw them out okay this if it's sport that's fine street fight you're done okay you've got to be quick 
um, you've got to get in and out fast. Don't be like there too long. So um, a good drill that a lot of people should do is when you go to the ground, 10 seconds and that's it. See what you can come up with in 10 seconds. You know, make it a flurry, but see what you can do in 10 seconds. See what you can do in five seconds. Just see where you're going. Get your mind to start thinking quick, okay, because you're under fire. You got to rush. You got to start sometimes thinking under pressure. Same thing with strikes. I had a student tell me they work on 10, 12 punch combinations. This is that's ridiculous. You don't throw 10 or 12 punches unanswered unless the guy's already on Queer Street, right? You don't want to be in front of a guy that long, all right, especially now with all the other fighting, you know, he can grab you. You know, he can pick you up. You want to hit one move and get out of the way. You know, you don't want to be around, you know, for 10 seconds standing in front of a guy. You don't. You want to be up, down, in, out, left, right, diagonal. This you want to, you don't, this guy doesn't want to, it's like a fly. You know, that, that fly is buzzing all over the place. That's how you have to be, even on the ground. And that's where my chains, that's how I chain differently. Because like with that arm lock thing, you know, going from one to another, I'm still cross chest for excellent, for how long, how long it takes me to do this. I don't need to be across chest of you that long and worry about somebody else coming from behind, behind me when I'm not watching and knock me out. I need to be around you. I need to be all over you. I need to get that fight over with quickly because I don't have eyes in the back of my head. So I got to make sure that I see everything. This isn't sport fellas. This isn't the safety of a, of a, of a ring or something where you got a referee and you don't have to worry about everything else. You know, it's a panic attack when you're fighting. You know, you, that's how you have to make that person you're going up against. Panic. You have to make them have a panic attack. What's going on? Where's this guy going? You know, what do I have to protect next? So from that respect, Joe, I don't care if you do seven moves. Just make sure that they're not so frigging similar that, you know, you're going to give this guy a chance to, to counter the living daylights out of you. So Tony, what kind of takedowns? Do you think, what kind of takedowns do you think are the best for the street? Uh, well, you know, get, well, some people will say like throws, uh, you know, because you could literally, like Shoney Carter loves his throws. Um, for me, uh, well, front headlocks, duck unders, if you're if you're tangling, but I, I like a, I like a double leg takedown. That's just for me. That's that's my thing. Um, I don't want to – I want to have – here, let's put it this way, and this should answer it for everybody. The, the takedown that you're good enough at that will not put you at any risk, okay? Because, like, some throws, like, especially if you turn your back, if you miss that throw, your back's to the guy, or you might – Throw now. I'm not knocking throws and Shoney. I'm not knocking what you do. I'm just saying, like sometimes you know you may throw yourself with the guy and end up rolling and not you know losing control. Okay, so whatever move that you feel that you can take yourself, you know, take the guy down, and if you're going with him, that you don't put yourself at risk. For me, it, like a double leg is very good. A duck under. If we're if we're tied up. I really like my duck under, but I'm not going to tie up with you if I don't have to. Um, especially because you might be pulling a knife, pulling a gun, 
you know, so I'll, you know, for me, it was a, it was a, it was a double leg and I will, I have no problem hitting the knee. You know, I've had guys talk about that. You're not going to feel that. And I don't care if I rip my pants, man, my God, I've had all these emails asking me questions about that through the years. You've seen me demonstrate a double leg where it's a glide, where there's no impact on your knee. If there is, if you hear that, that thud, when you hit the ground, that's a problem. You didn't do that double leg properly. All your energy is crashing into the ground. You need to come, you need to come forward uh, smooth as silk. And so that's, and, and again, you got to be careful when you do the double leg, of course. You can't be haphazard and, and worry about getting choked. But another beautiful thing is if you're striking already with the guy, if there's punches and shit going on, now maybe, you know, the closer he is to you, as long as he's coming towards you, you have a better chance of making this move work. Now, somebody else, they may have a completely different takedown. It's what, they're, it's what they feel they're, they're more comfortable with. But my, my only advice is make sure that your takedown is fast. If it fails, fail. Okay? Don't fight the finish. This is not a sport. You don't get points for finishing the takedown. Okay? If you failed, fail. Try something else because, man, you don't need to be ganged up on or, or worse. I'm going to quote you back to yourself, but you said my favorite uh, takedown is a left hook. Oh, well, yeah, of course, a knockdown, yes. My favorite knockdown is a, is a left hook. It really is. But Joe, Nico was actually talking about uh, wrestling. No, thing. I know. I just. But, yeah, I mean, like I said from the very beginning, I'd rather strike you then have to take you down. Um, but if, if I could hurt you, I would, you know, slam you or something. But that's not – again, look, at if we're in weather like this, I got to worry that I'm not going to fall. You know, my friend just fell – when was it, Sunday and broke his hip? Now he has – he's in a hospital for a hip replacement. They replaced his hip. You know, so that's what I'm saying about a, a legitimate takedown, takedown, a wrestling takedown. If you're doing this on the street, make sure you don't hurt yourself. I've seen guys do, you know, belly-to-back soups and uh, knock themselves out. You know, you, you, you have to be – I mean, it's a great throw if you can get it. It may be, it may be risky to you. So I don't want to hurt myself if I don't have to. So I'm more um, conservative, I guess. You know, I kind of had a light bulb earlier on the discussion because, you know, working the heavy bag now kind of under your guidance – I always drill, I throw my combination, but then I always move evasively away from the back. So I get some distance. So I'm in and I'm out. You know, I don't stand there just punching away uh, to get that habit. I always want to have the kind of, kind of almost the uh, muscle memory of like, I punched a few times. Now I want to get out of range because it's likely he's throwing something back unless I got lucky. But I never really thought about that with my grappling training. So, you know, like when we've drilled, in the past, it'll be like, okay, I take a person down and then we start rolling and we're rolling for minutes at a time, you know, where it's like, I should go down. I, I can visualize it now where it's like, I go down, I make my move. If I blow the hold or whatever it is, I'm back up on my, like, I should almost finish, like you said, have that and get back to my feet, get out of there. Because in our scenarios, and especially if we're trying to drill for self-defense, you don't want to be down there for too long. No. And I've done this with you where I say, I'll say like, up, oh, get up. You know, and you already you have to know that even if you're the top guy, you, that the guy on the bottom is not holding you down, okay? 
you've got to make sure that you can get up when needed, okay, like instantly if possible or relatively instantly, you know, within less than a second. You know, like elbow him or stick your finger in his eye so he'll let go of his body locking you so you can get back up, okay? That's the thing about control. Control is not dependent on position alone. It's, it's, it's dependent on literally who is dominating whom. So you can have the identical position, and the guy on top could be in control, and with a subtle change, the guy in the bottom could be in control. Um, for me, I always want to be able to get up, okay, when I can. Uh, that's why it's, it's imperative that you're never stuck to the cross, man. You, you've got to find a way out, top or bottom. You, you can't be, um, you know, at the other person's mercy. This is something that needs to be drilled. But I've done that with you. I know it. You know, I've done it with all, most of my guys. You know, all right, get up. You know, and you got to be able to get up. Oh, you, you know, know awesome. I, I remember that. I was just thinking, gosh, when I was talking about, because I asked you about how, I, you know, I should drill on my own and just, you know, I'm shadow wrestling, but I should always finish whatever I'm working, popping up and getting back to my feet. You yeah, know, well, do that on the heavy bag. Throw some punches back away and sprawl, right? Sprawl, do a sit out, do a hip heist, and then get back up on box or uh, hit the bag. You know, start incorporating it because, you know, you, it's hard with a heavy bag. You can't overhook, you know, and pretend like you're getting a wizard or something. But if you if you work on sprawling while you're punching, because here's the problem with people in general, when they're boxing on that, see, they don't, they, they, they differentiate between strike and grapple. This is the big problem. This is why I just really, I mean, I know that people sometimes have to go to different instructors for strikes and grappling, but that's such a problem because there's a line of demarcation there. Okay. Your brain is like the minute you walk into your strike gym, that's all you're thinking about is striking. The minute you go to your grappling gym, it's all you're thinking about is grappling. No, no, no. Your brain can't work. You're, you're, you're setting up, you know, you're, you're, you're compartmentalizing things in the real world. You have to instantly blend it all together. It just, there's just no stopping, you know, I'll tell you one of the greatest examples of what I'm talking about is when you get a foreigner, okay? And um, you can listen to them talk. Their native language may be something else, you know, and they'll be talking in English and they'll throw out their native tongue or they'll be talking in their native tongue and start talking in English. They're not constant. This is just the way it's happening. It's automatic. And that's how your fighting has to be. I've said this for 30 years, man. You, you, you can't think of grappling mode and strike mode. It's got to be fight mode 100% of the time. So when you're hitting that heavy bag, man, boom, throw down, this, do some brawls or, you know, hip heights, whatever, get back up, punch, kick, whatever, do it again. You know, get used to always knowing that your, your mind will never think, okay, it's only strikes when I'm in this position. You can't. And the same with the grappling. You know, you you can't get this tunnel vision where you just zone out and you're so single-focused, man. You know, um, with the grappling, man, start throwing elbows, rips, uh, blah, 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 standing up. You know, stand up. And when the guy gets up, go after him again. You can stand up, go right back to grappling mode if you wanted to. Just be creative. Just You, you just have to. Um. I don't know. I don't know how else other to put it. This is just how it always was with me. Maybe I was a natural to it. Maybe it just came natural, but I, I don't know, man. I always think back and 
retrospect that I worked my ass off at all of this. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just think thinking change the way you think and, and you'll, you know, change the way you fight. Just like the REBT thing in psychology, change the way you, you think you change the way you feel. Well, the, you change the way you think you'll change the way you fight. Well, we should probably change the way you train too. Well, sure. Change the Absolutely. Way you fight. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's, again, I'm not trying to, you know, cock block anybody out there, but the fact of the matter is if you're, if you're just a grappling only gym, well, yeah, the, the guy's got to go to a strike gym if he wants to learn striking and, and vice versa. Better than nothing, I guess. Then it's on you, the student, to do as I just said, blend it together since neither instructor is, is qualified enough in the other art to, to, you know, to do it. You have to do it. But ideally, you want, you want somebody that blends it all like I do. And there are probably others I don't know. But, you know, just, man, it, it's so much. I mean, you just become, it's automatic. You know, so that's why I can watch the MMA matches, UFC types and, you know, all of that. I can, I can just sit there and say, okay, he missed this hole. He missed this move or this, you know, approach or he should have done that, blah, 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 blah. It just comes, it comes easy to me. Okay. Just as it would come easy to you. If you listen to somebody talk about something, you would have said, oh, I would have said this. It's no different. We're all capable of doing this. And we all do do this in other avenues of our life. It's just doing it when you fight. And 99.99999% of the people don't understand this concept. But I'm not asking you to do anything that you cannot already do in another aspect of your life. And that is think quickly, think creatively, you know, um, and spontaneously. Did you, did you ever have the guys at the gym do drills to make them try to get submissions quicker or, um, you know, get off the ground faster. What kind of drills did you do to develop that? Well, one of them was, I just told you now was that you'd never knew when I would tell you what to do, like get up or, um, we used to do this thing called pig. You know, when I would say that, then you had X free, free amount, free set time, five seconds, 10 seconds to get that submission. Okay. Otherwise, boom, the roles are reversed. Um, so how did that work? You just shout out pig. Yeah. I'm just watching you guys do your thing. You know, you're not actively going, you're not actively going for submissions. Okay. You're, you're tussling, you're wrestling for control. Both of you there, there's no, you know, and, and then the top guy or the guy that let's say it's you and Nico, uh, you and Joe, when I would say pig, it's you, Nico, that you got 10 seconds now to get, to get that submission. Okay. And it was a, this is this game that we used to do. And it was really pretty awesome because it, you're under the gun. Um, but we also naturally do traditional drills, which I, you know, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of drills. You do that to learn muscle memory. Okay. You got to get that muscle memory, but there is a difference between muscle memory, which you have to have. You have to know that move. You have to know the submission, let's say. And you practice it slow over and over thousands of times. But then once you have that muscle memory, then you have to work on your mental memory, your mental, 
not memory so much, but mental creativity. Okay, now you got to take, now you know your body's ready. Your body's ready to go. Now you got to get your, you know, get it all on the same page. Get your mind and body as one. And it, it's hard, but part, part of the problem is people tend to, gra- when, they, when they spar or grapple or whatever you want to call it, uh, they either, they, they abandon a lot of shit. You know, they just try to win. They just want to, they're just looking to tap their opponent out. And it's, that's not, the, that's not what you want. You know, you, it's got to be constructive. You, you have to put in, you can go pretty hard, but I mean, you shouldn't always, but you can go, but you have to be purposeful. You know, maybe all you want to do is go for this toehold. Maybe that's all you want to do. You know, and you'll, you'll pass up other opportunities. You know, you got to be single-minded. Um, you got to just work on your deficiencies. I told you before, I got so good at the top wrist lock that that's all I was going for. And my coach said, no. So we ended up doing this three months of nothing but arm bars, three months of nothing but leg locks, three months of nothing but neck cranks, and then three months of just, you know, other uh, miscellaneous and putting it all together. But while I was wrestling, let's say when it was the arm bar months, if I saw a chance for a toe hold, I would say it. I could go uh, stop her toe hold, Achilles lock, uh, heel hook, uh, knee bar. But, you know, so I saw it. I I vocalized it. I verbalized it. Okay. Um, So that my my brain wasn't shutting it out. My coach knew that I saw it, but I was still going just for the arm bar. Okay. Um, And then that's how come I got good at the leg locks, man. You know, I just was like, man, all of a sudden I found out when I started laying off the top wrist lock for a while, I'm like, wow, man, these, these toe holds, these leg locks, man. Um, so, you know, you, there's so many unique ways you can come up with your own drills. People who are out there, come up with your own drills. Make sure they're logical. Make sure they make sense. So what I mean by logical is, you know, again, to get back to music, if you're playing in a, if you're soloing in the key of C, don't all of a sudden start soloing in G flat. You know, that's not going to work. You know, <laughs> that's, that's going to be a dissonance. But in your, in, your, in your drilling, make sure it's logical, but also make sure it's creative. You know, make a beautiful harmony, you know, so to speak, with, with, your, with your training. So did you ever take, uh, like, one of your athletes and pull them to the side and say, I only want you to go for this submission when you're going live or, or yeah. go for this and, and, and not tell anyone? Absolutely. I, I, I did that a lot. I had, you know, a lot of guys that I would, I would say, hey, just do this. Or do. I, Brian Deneve was one of them. You know, um, he's been on this show. He was one of them. Others you wouldn't know. Um, oh, sure. Absolutely. I want you to get this. And, um, and many times it wasn't for my students' benefit as much as it is for the guy that he was working with. You know, um, you know, like if they thought they were really good at leg locks, well, I'll tell my, my student, tap them out with such and such. And that was an eye-opener for the other guy. Damn, I thought I knew all leg locks. I thought I was so good at leg locks. You know, you know, now, you know, now you know that. You know, you, you you need to work on your leg locks. But, you know, you got to have the ability. Your student, the one that I tell to go for the leg lock, has to have the ability to do it. You know, I'm not going to tell him, you know, to do something that I know he's not capable of. 
Hello? Yeah, we covered a lot. I think that was a lot of uh, a lot of heavy topics in a short amount well, of time. Well, let's let's take the last few minutes, uh, five or ten more minutes, and just unwind a little bit because uh, you know we're we're wrapping up the month of February here in in the year twenty twenty one. We're not quite. I think we'll have one more show before the end of February. But you know, people may hear these videos or uh, podcasts years from now. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's not being stale. It's being very creative. And remember something, people. As you age, and just time itself wears you down. What you may have been good at when you were thirty years old, your body may just not. You know, you may not be able to do it anymore. Doesn't mean you quit. It means you move on to something else in in this realm of fighting that that you may um, may have to excel at. Or maybe it's time to, you know, bone up on some stuff that you may have put away. Like I just mentioned, I, I would rely on the top wrist lock so much. And, you know, and it was thankfully my coach says start doing other stuff. Maybe that's something that you need to start doing as well. But, Joe, I got to say it's your hair. I just don't know every time I think. Oh, oh, one other thing. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make – I'm going to make Sylvia Lewis very upset. Um, there was an episode today of The Love Boat. Unfortunately, I couldn't really pay attention to it because I was getting some information about Scott. However, Julie Newmar was on it. Mm. And of all things, she was tying up with Don Knotts in this episode, which there should be something. There should be laws well, against For all that. of us, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, Julie Newmar's back to number one. Um, when I saw her in this episode, she must have been in her prime. I don't know. Maybe maybe she was 40 when this episode came out. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm, so I'm sorry, Sylvia, you're still there. Um, but it's back to it's back to Julie Newmar as the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen in my life. Um, but, Joe, with your hair... Um, you're going places, man. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You So would I be number three then? So it's uh, you're so yeah, Sylvia Sylvia Lewis and then yeah, and probably Josie Cardinal. Um what what is your middle initial? R. Oh, never mind. Ramon. <laughs> yeah, Ramona. No, you're the Fabio of catch wrestling, Joe. We we know that already. I mean it's just obvious. You guys remember when he got his nose broken when he was on that roller coaster? I really that didn't part- follow his career that much, Tony. Tell us more about it. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, he was on a roller coaster and they get this bird literally flew into his face and broke his nose. It was all over you know, see, I used back then I used to read like really intellectual stuff like National Enquirer. And it was in it was on the cover. Um but yeah, he, he got he got hit in the nose <laughs> with a with a bird. I mean, okay. How often how often does that happen? That's never happened to me, although I have to admit I've been flipped the bird many times, but never hit in the face with one. Yeah, well, you know, like you said, I think, you know, I always, you always encourage me with this podcast, you know, there's no shortcuts, you know, oh. if you, want, you know, so definitely if you want the hair, it's, it's a commitment, you know. And, and, and you're doing it, and, and believe me, it is, and I really do believe that, that you're right and that you should be committed, um, I do. I need to talk to your wife about that, though. Um, 
But yeah, no, honestly, man, you, you, get, training is a commitment, though. People want something fa fast. Look at it this way. This is something that will last the rest of your life. I mean, yeah, there's sometimes you want something right away. You want to get great at it. But don't you want something also that's going to last forever? And training, no matter what, what you're, you know, you should, you should be training for the rest of your life. You should be learning for the rest of your life. And there's not a day that goes by that, you know, well, let's be realistic. There's not a week that goes by that I'm, you know, not creating something in my mind or refreshing or seeing something in a different light than I did, you know, in the past. And that's something that everybody needs to know. Just keep your mind going. What do you think, Nico? Yeah. Uh I don't think I think I'm done thinking for the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with recording these in the evening, man. We're just <laughs> yeah, we're having we're, we're yeah, me too. I'm I'm real tired, but well, I guess then we'll wrap it up. But I do want to tell everybody out there, hit the like and subscribe button and ring that bell, please, so you can always get the updates if you're on YouTube. On the other uh, podcast things, I don't know how that works, but you know. I guess you can sub subscribe. Yeah, and you can um, give us like five-star reviews on, on iPhone and stuff. So, yeah, any support hey, is cool. always appreciated. I don't have an iPhone, but, yeah, that would be great if you guys could, you know. Um, every little bit helps, keeps us going. We don't monetize. Um, we do this, you know, all this equipment that we purchase. We did this all on our own, but we'd like to start monetizing. But that's something Joe handles all that YouTube thing. And – Monetizing doesn't mean anything other than the more the more views, the more likes we get. But we will be working on a something separate, which is a subscription thing. This will always continue. And my three-day-a-week videos on YouTube will continue. Maybe not always three days a week, sometimes maybe once or twice, depending. But um, we will be setting up probably a monthly subscription where you'll be getting uh, – a, you know, a private video, let's put it that way. Um, but hit the like and subscribe button and ring that bell and you'll find out more details. See, when we when we have it all firmed up. And, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Right, well, that was a really good talk. I, definitely insightful. Oh, you know, one thing. I dated uh, a girl who was a uh, DJ and I guess she told me there was a technique that they used to call in broadcasting school called puking. Okay, that's what she called it, puking. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, actually, Mark, our singer, was a, a broadcaster, too, and he talked about that. Yeah, and it's like you don't want to do it because I would do that. I would, you know, when, she, when she'd start going on about something and then I'd start my puking voice, <laughs> which, yeah, it didn't go over too well, but that was the way she, I think she got the hint to, you know, well, she got two hints. Tony wants me to stop talking, and I want to stop seeing Tony. So it kind of worked out. So, but yeah, we'll have to. So, we'll have like, to yeah, use our puking puking like, yeah. So, join us next week on the Snap No Pet Podcast. You have to hear coming to you live from Chicago, Illinois, broadcasting to the 42 streets on the north side. Go ahead, Nico. Let's hear your puke voice. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs>
Yeah, that's making me puke. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week on the Snap No Tap podcast. Later. One. Thank